your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We have been in a series called Jesus is Better, and we are going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. The other night, I was hanging out with a friend. We took a walk. It was a nice evening, beautiful Friday night. And we were walking in a park by my house, and we uh, we saw some fireflies over this field with these. There's this field with these tall wild fire wild flowers, and then we saw some lightning in the background. And so we're just walking, talking about life and ministry. And my friend says, "Just like like check that out. Like look, like pause for a moment. Okay, here's something pretty cool. There's these fireflies. There's this tall." Tall, these tall uh, wild flowers, flowers, lightning in the background, and there's just just kind of a moment of of awe. Like, man, that's cool. All that was directed towards the creator of those things, right? And as we open to Hebrews chapter twelve, the author of Hebrews is call, calling the the audience to take a pause. And consider what they have come to, what they have stepped into when they became Christians. What they have not stepped into and what they have stepped into when they became Christians. And he calls for an appropriate response to what God has done. Amen? And so let's do that. Let's, let's, let's take a pause and be in awe. This morning of what God has done in sending his son to bring rescue and all the grace and blessing that we get to experience now because of Jesus. Amen. So with that said, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12. We're going to start in verse 18. He says this, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I tremble with fear but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festive, festal, festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I shake not only earth, 
but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence in all, for our God is a consuming fire. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God, here's the big idea. This is where we're going this morning. God has given us in the new covenant something much greater than what the old covenant offered. So we must receive what he has provided and respond with gratitude and worship. Again, let me remind you of the audience that the author of Hebrews was writing to and how they seemed to be tempted to going. They were a Jewish audience, Jewish Christians who seemed to be tempted to go back to the old way of serving God that was inferior. When when God had provided something greater, something so much better in Jesus Christ and the new covenant where there is grace and mercy abounding, where there is the spirit of God coming to live inside of us, the new covenant where, where Christ. That, that the covenant which Christ has established with his blood, with the ultimate, perfect sacrifice of himself. And the author of Hebrews, throughout the book of Hebrews, has been arguing that Jesus is better. That, that as New Testament Christians, those who've entered into a relationship, those who've come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. Those who've come to the throne of grace. And mercy, not the throne of judgment and condemnation. That we have something so much better provided for us in Jesus. And it would be foolish for us to give up the grace and the blessing that God has provided for us. It would be foolish for anybody who's heard the message of Jesus. Who's experienced and tasted the goodness of God and see the goodness of God. It would be foolish to, to turn back and go back to that old way of living. Because there's no sufficient sacrifice. There's no other sufficient sacrifice. Than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now notice here in verses, thir- verses 18 through 24. There's a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. Mount Sinai is, is what the author is referring to here. You haven't come to that mountain, that one where, where Moses, he got the law. He, got, he heard from God. God showed up. God revealed himself. God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Okay? And God had revealed himself. God had been good to the Israelites. And God was doing a good thing in that, in that time of history. Okay? And... and and Moses goes up, he, he, get, he receives the law from God, the, there, there's, there's these loud noises, there's lightning and thunder, and it's just, it's scary. And the Israelites are like, Moses, you go talk to him. We don't, we don't want to go. So there was, this, there was this distance, and God had warned them to, to be careful, to stay away. Don't let, don't let your animals, your pets go near the mountain lest they die. You, you stay away from it. You know, only Moses can go up, right? 
Because there's this, this huge gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. Okay? And so what God was doing was he was providing a way to communicate and a way to reveal himself to the people of Israel in that time. And we have the ultimate revelation of God in, in the person of Jesus where he came, he stepped in. And now we can come close because of Jesus. We can come with confidence before the throne of grace because of Jesus. We, as we talked about last week, we have been made holy. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart to God, for God, and for his purposes through the blood of Jesus Christ. The ultimate sacrifice for our sins, which bridges the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God. He makes us holy and he calls us to pursue holiness and progress and grow and becoming more like Jesus. That's what we looked at last week. But let's look at some of the contrast here uh, from the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. What um, He first mentions what can be touched, a mountain that can be touched, but they weren't supposed to touch it, lest they die, right? Uh, uh, versus a heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of the living God. A blazing fire versus innumerable angels in festal gathering. I think the NIV says joyous gathering. Okay, there's this element of joy that we've been called into, this element of celebration and joy and festive rejoicing that we have in Jesus. Yet we'll also see there's a, there's a call to, to worship with reverence as well. There's darkness there in, in the, at Sinai, this, this dark cloud, blazing fire, and then there's the assembly of the firstborn that we, we've come to. We didn't, we didn't come to the darkness, the gloom, the storm, the trumpet blast, the terrifying voice, the blazing fire, the mountain that cannot be touched. We've come to the city, the heavenly Jerusalem, this Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God, innumerable angels and festival gathering, assembly of the firstborn, God, the judge of all, spirits of the righteous made perfect, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. That's what we've come to and who we've come to. We've come to the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember, Hebrews has told us that, that Abel's blood cries out, has, speaks, still speaks, right? And his, his blood speaks, cries out for justice, for vengeance. And Jesus' blood speaks a better word and it's forgiveness, mercy, and grace. For you and I who are guilty. And his blood cleanses our guilty consciences. Hebrews 9.14. So that we can serve the living God. And so that we can now approach a holy God. Because we're made holy. We're consecrated by the blood of Jesus. And we have this new and living way in which we approach God now. So don't go back. Don't, don't be drawn away, Christian, to go back to the, to the old way, the old covenant. Trying to serve God in the old way. We've been brought into a new way, one that's been, that is characterized by grace. 
And oh, how beautiful and sweet the effects of grace are on people's lives. We talked about last week holiness actually being the, the, the effect of grace in somebody's life because grace precedes holiness. Okay? And so the author of Hebrews has been throughout this book communicating that Jesus is better. There's better promises. Okay, there's a new and a living way. There's a better sacrifice. There's a better mediator. There's a better high priest, the great high priest, Jesus. Okay, and and, and so he's saying, don't go back to that. We have something better. Okay, now let's look at a few of these things that the author says you have come to. You didn't come to Sinai. You came to Zion, to Mount Zion. Okay, just think and just pause and think about that for a second. When you came to Jesus, what did you come to? When you first responded to the grace, the summons of the gospel to receive what Christ has done for you and to respond in repentance and faith, what did you come to? Okay, the author of Hebrews is telling us. That Christians, we, we've come to something real, authentic, something really special. Something that we shouldn't take for granted like Esau, just a few verses back. Like Esau did, who counted his privilege and blessing as the firstborn, his inheritance as a really small thing. He despised his birthright and for a momentary pleasure, a meal he gave it up. Okay? And so the, 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 these Christians who would go back to Judaism after being enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be like an Esau. Don't be like an Esau who missed out on the grace of God. We looked at verse 15 last week. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God lest there be a root of bitterness springing up and causing trouble defiling many. So let's look at this first phrase here, or one of the phrases in this list here, the firstborn. William Lane says this, that the firstborn was the son who received the greatest amount of inheritance. This is evidently another reference to Christ's companions who are partakers of his glory, namely those who faithfully persevere in the faith. Charles Hodge says this, that the phrase, the general assembly of the And church of the firstborn, the Greek construction suggests one group probably refers to all those believers who died but will receive full inheritance because they followed the Lord faithfully and did not apostatize. And there are a couple of other views. Um, Leon Morris um, thinks that it refers to uh, all the saints in heaven and earth. Um, Moffat would say he believes that... All, of course, all Christians are in view here. And then Bruce um, believes that all Christians already in heaven uh, is referred to here. Dr. Al Mohler says this about what we've come to, what the Christians have come to. He says he paints this terrifying picture of Sinai for his readers in order to make the contrast with the radiant, glorious, and gracious new covenant the awful terror of Sinai, the awful terror of Sinai, which is not the mount to which we have come, shows the radical mercy of Zion. 
At Zion, God embraces us with grace and administers to us a covenant where he does not merely write the law on tablets of stone, but on tablets of our hearts. Amen. We've looked at that already in Hebrews chapter 8. And so the first point here in verse 25, the first exhortation to respond to what God has done. And by the way, the author of Hebrews does what many other New Testament writers do, like Paul. He gives an exposition, a gospel exposition of this is what God has done in redemptive history. Okay, and here's how you should appropriately respond. Here's your responsibility. This is how you're to respond to this magnificent grace that you've encountered in the gospel of grace, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so, so he's given an exposition in 18 through 24 in this contrast of what we've come to as Christians. Something really special, something really profound, something so much greater than Sinai. Amen? And so the, the response is, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Don't reject God and his message that's being proclaimed now in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. There are consequences of rejecting God. It's not merely an offer that you can or cannot take. Like, yes, you, you have a choice. You have an option. But there are consequences of not receiving what God has done for you and I in Christ Jesus. There are consequences for turning our back on, what, on God and on the grace that he's provided in Christ Jesus. And so we are to receive him and his message. Okay? The author of Hebrews has already said this from the beginning of Hebrews. He describes God as a God who speaks. And we, we have at the very beginning of the Bible, we have a God who speaks, a God who said, let there be light. Right? In Hebrews chapter 1, he says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So hear him. Listen to him. Respond to him. In, in Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, he says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. So we must, there's this call to persevere. Persevere in what you've heard. Heed what you've heard. Continue to listen to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Pursue holiness with the people of God together. Lest you drift away from it, since the message declared by angels provided to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If you're watching here today and you have not responded by receiving what God has done for you and relying upon, repenting and relying upon Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, now is the time to do that. While you have breath in your lungs, I plead with you to repent and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, the only way, the truth, and the life. And if you're weary, saints, 
If you're discouraged, don't give up. Don't lose heart. If it's getting hard following Jesus and you're experiencing some persecution and you just think it would be a lot easier if I wasn't following Jesus and you're tempted to, to just throw in the towel with Christianity, don't give up. Persevere. Rely on God's grace. Listen to what God has said. Heed the warnings of the book of Hebrews as a means of grace for keeping you and empowering you. Amen? God's voice is authoritative. Verse 26, it says, At this time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. We are over two months into a global pandemic, and we have experienced a shaking that we've never seen in our lifetime. The economy has been rocked. Okay? Many uh, businesses have been shut down. The, the, the 2020 Summer Olympics got canceled. And, and many other professional sports seasons, leagues, have been canceled. Many idols of the nations have been silenced and crushed. And we've been confronted with the reality that we're not God and we're not in control and our lives are in the hands of the maker of heaven and earth. And he promises that he's going to shake more. That more shaking is going to come. And as Christians, we're not all completely, we're not all too surprised by this shaking that we're experiencing right now. Because as students of the Bible, we are given an expectation that there will be shaking. That there will be more shaking to come. That God is going to shake things up and the things that are not eternal are going are gonna to fall. The kingdoms of this world are going to crumble. All the little castle sand, sand castles that we've spent all our time and energy building in, our own little kingdoms are going to crumble. And so we as the people of God are to adjust our lives and prioritize our lives with the unshakable kingdom. Okay? Um, William Lane says this, that the shaking is a metaphor for the judgment of God executed in history, as in the case of the fall of Babylon announced in Isaiah 13. All right? And so there is this shaking that is taking place that we expect will happen, okay? There's, and there's more to come. There's going to be more to come. Jesus gave us this expectation in Matthew 24 when he says, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of birth pains, okay? The beginning of birth pains, okay? Uh, those of you who have had babies, 
Okay, that, when 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 the Braxton Hicks start kicking, right? And and there's there's little something going on there, and it's labor is just starting, labor and deliver labor is just starting. You know that there's some more painful things coming, but you know that after the pain. There is something very exciting coming, very beautiful coming, a human life coming into the world. And so we look forward to that. While, we, while we're not very excited about the birth pains that have started and the birth pains that are going to intensify, okay, we're not, we're not excited about that, right? But we, we have a biblical expectation that there will be shaking. There will be birth pains. There will be calamities. There will be catastrophes. But you and I, saints, belong to an unshakable kingdom. So while God is rattling up the entire globe and the temporary things, the worldly things, the kingdoms of this world... Fall and the, and, the, and the things that seem to promise so much fulfillment and happiness fall and fade away and lose their influence. The things of this world grow strangely dim. We cling to the King of Kings and we rest assured that we are part of His kingdom. He tells us that the application to this, all to, to what He has said, what He's unpacked in the book of Hebrews. One of the exhortations here is, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here, here's our appropriate response, and especially in this pandemic, especially as we see global shakening happening right now in our lifetime. We ought to be the most grateful people on the planet right now. Because what we possess, what we have, what we've received and we are receiving cannot be shaken okay it cannot be shaken let us therefore be grateful the king james says let us have grace okay the the word translated in english there uh, great grateful is charis okay and name my my second child that charis let us let us have grace or let us be grateful there's a close connection between Grace and gratefulness. In 2 Corinthians 4.15, the Apostle Paul says that, that grace, having spread to many, will cause thanksgiving to abound for the glory of God. The effects of grace in our lives not, is not only holiness, but gratitude and worship and praise. That's the effects of grace. When we position our lives in humility and a humble posture to receive the grace of God, the blessing of God, the effects will be grateful worship and praise and adoration. And so it's fitting for us to give thanks to God for this unshakable kingdom. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of uh, the Christy Knuckles version of a mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A sacred refuge is your name. Your kingdom stands unshakable. With you forever we will reign. We will keep our eyes. 
on you. We will keep our eyes on you. What a fitting song for us right now and for this text. One of the verses says, Our God is a consuming fire, a holy, righteous judge, burning, holy flame with glory and freedom. We are receiving a kingdom. Notice this, the phrase receiving. The, the author of Hebrews uh, points us to this already not yet element of the kingdom that theologians, well, that the New Testament does. Uh, and, and, the, and theologians call it the already not yet. Okay? The kingdom has come. King Jesus has come. And he pronounced, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus brought the kingdom, the reign, and, and he, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, the kingdom of heaven continued to spread like wildfire after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Believers carried the message from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world, global. God has this global vision for his kingdom to expand throughout the entire world. And that people come and submit and surrender to his reign in their hearts and their lives. And those of you who are Christians, we've, 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 we are in, we receiving and inheriting the kingdom of God. We belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 3, he said, unless you're born again, you can't see or enter the kingdom of God. But we get the king we get relationship with the king and we get to be with him and he will even entrust us to judge angels. So what does it mean to receive an unshakable kingdom? I think John Piper puts it well in describing that. He says receiving an unshakable kingdom does not mean safety for the body in this world. It does not mean that we'll escape the earthquake. It means that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It means the deep and abiding certainty that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of, de- of the dead and the living. Romans 14.9 It means that here we have no lasting city, but that we seek a city which is to come. Hebrews 13.14 A city whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11.10 A city that cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12.28 for a, king, a city that cannot be shaken forever. It does not mean that judgment will not begin at the house of God, it will. That's what First Peter tells us. And so we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful. And let us also offer acceptable worship to God. Let us offer acceptable worship to God with reverence and with awe. Let us stand in awe. Let us, as, I, as me and my friend did on Friday night when we saw the wildflowers and the lightning bugs and the lightning and the beautiful field and the cool evening, 
Let's just pause and be in awe of who God is and what God has done in redemptive history. And let our hearts be captured with a fresh sense of awe that we have this king and kingdom that cannot be shaken, that, that we belong to. So regardless of what comes our way in this life, there's this certainty and stability that we have, this anchor to our soul that we have. For our God is with us. And our God is for us. And our relationship with Him is characterized by grace and mercy. Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. Yet we should have reverence. Though there's joy And though there's freedom, and though we can come boldly before the throne of grace, we should still treat God as holy and have reverence towards Him. For our God is a consuming fire. Okay? The Christian is still called to worship not only with joy, but also with reverence. We need to cultivate all in our worship. Paul Tripp in his book, All says, every awesome thing in creation is designed to point you to the one who alone is worthy of capturing and controlling the all of your searching and hungry heart. So the horizontal things that we see in creation, like a Grand Canyon or mountains or a beautiful sunset or sunrise or the birth of a new child, where we're just awestruck, that is designed to bring us vertically in all to the one who created it, to to our awesome God. Whether it's something great in creation like the stars and planets and moons, or whether it's the small things like slugs and bugs, roly-polies. Let us be in all. Let our all be directed vertically to the one who created it all. Paul Tripp goes on. He says, between the already of the sin of Adam and Eve and the not yet of the final redemption, a war rages over who or what will rule and control that all capacity that God has established within every human heart. There's this war that rages within us to captivate our attention and to take our all away. Are you cultivating a heart of all where God is that source, that God is the one that you're all struck by? And it leads you to worship Him, to praise Him. Paul Tripp goes on to say, All of God means that I live knowing that there is a greater story than my little personal story. All of God means that there is a grander kingdom than my little kingdom of one. All of God means that God has a plan far bigger and better than any plans I have for myself. Worship all is meant to capture your heart and bend your knee in humble, joyful adoration. So let us worship God with reverence and awe for who he is and what he's done. And let's be contagious with all to our children, to our family members, our friends. Let's lead in worship with a sense of awe, starting with our own hearts being captured by.
by him. I think cultivating a heart of all is key to persevering in the faith. May we never lose the wonder of God's mercy and grace. Our God is a consuming fire. And we'll finish with this. Dwight Pentecost says this, as a consuming fire, God purifies all that is unworthy and unacceptable in those who serve him and all that is unfit to abide in his presence. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is not a pushover, somebody that we should treat flippantly and casually, even though we, we can come boldly, and even though we're under grace and our relationship with him is characterized by mercy and grace, our God is not a pushover. He's a consuming fire. Consuming fire is holiness manifested in judgment, says Henry Allen Ironside. And God, who is light and love, must consume everything that is contrary to his holy will. For the believer, of course, this will mean eventually absolute conformity to Christ when the last vestige of the flesh has been destroyed. And this is what we talked about last week. God is committed to shaping us into Christ-likeness, to leading us in this path of holiness. Yet we're, we're called to participate and pursue it doesn't come automatically. We must cooperate and respond to God's working. But when we are uh, rebellious and unresponsive to the promptings of the Spirit and to our Heavenly Father, God lovingly disciplines us to bring about the fruitful, the, the fruit of righteousness and holiness, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. He's committed to our holiness. He's committed to shaping you and I into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are destined, predestined for this. It will happen by God's grace. And so let me close with three points of application. Consider the magnificent grace that you have in Christ and let that move you to deep gratitude toward God. Consider how magnificent is God's grace. Can you really say, can you say today that God's grace is amazing to you? Or have you lost sight of how amazing God's grace really is? I think those who lose sight of how much they fall short and how sinful and broken they are lose sight of how amazing God's grace and love is. When you see the gap between God's perfection and holiness and the gap between our lack of holiness and Christ-likeness, our lack of conformity, the, the areas where we need to grow. When you see that gap, you're gonna, you're, and you see that God has met that in Christ Jesus, it's going to cause amazement and awe of God's grace and gratitude for it. And so let gratitude move you to serve the living God, to worship the living God, to, to praise the living God. Don't go back to Sinai and don't fall under a yoke of legalism where you're trying to earn favor and status with God based on what you're doing. As if it's all up to you. As if the Christian life is all up to you. Like God saved you and then he's just going to let you go and do your thing and you're going you're gonna to sustain yourself. I love that the Christian life doesn't operate like that. The work that God has started in us, he will complete. And he is working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. 
He's working deeply in our hearts. So cultivate an awe of God for who he is and what he has done through quiet reflection daily. If we're going to cultivate hearts of awe, then we've got to get quiet. We've got to get still. And we've got to let God captivate. We've got to let God have our attention. We have so many things that are pulling for our attention. Screens, messages, activities, all kinds of things that are just pulling for our attention. And we need to slow down and rest and reflect and get a good look at who God is daily to cultivate in the heart of all. And lastly, let us prioritize and pursue the unshakable kingdom. God forbid that we should spend our lives building these, these cute little sandcastles that are going to soon be crushed and destroyed and mean nothing in eternity. God forbid that we should collect all these cute little seashells, as John Piper puts it, and, and stand before God and be like, God, look at my seashells. Look at my sandcastle building our own little kingdom rather than prioritizing and pursuing, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because that kingdom is unshakable. And we, we will not regret our investment in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just about you. It's about all of God's people. It's about God and those who belong to the kingdom of God, his people. So, Father... Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, may we be people that pursue your kingdom. May we be people who proclaim the message, the good news of the message of the kingdom unashamedly. And may we take great risks, God, to carry that message, to declare your glory, the glory of your everlasting kingdom among the nations. And may we lose our lives in the healthiest sense to do so.